0: Morning, we are in week number two of actually a five-part series, and I am so glad that you're here with us today. Last week, we said this, that sometimes God tells us, you know, hey, listen, I want you to go chase after that giant. And um, he asked us in doing so to maybe face something that's really big, maybe really overwhelming. uh, And maybe in those scenarios, as we look at it, the odds might be against us. In fact, they probably are. And when it comes to giants, I would say this, probably if there is some kind of metaphorical giant in our life, then the odds are against us because I'm not a giant, (laughs) That's the giant. Um, And so, God, it seems to me, likes those odds. Uh, Unfortunately, He likes it when the odds are against us because, honestly, God is not in the glory sharing business. Not a bit, He's not. Um, He is, however, in the faith business. And so, sometimes when we are going against our giant, uh, sometimes, um, well, sometimes we don't win when that happens. We do not win every time we face a giant in our lives. But the truth is, I believe that it's not about whether we win or whether we lose when we face the giant. The outcome really doesn't matter because when God says, go face that giant, um, well, it's the fact that we choose to have true grit And we choose to hold on as we face that giant, that holding on, that is what brings God glory. No matter what the outcome is, it brings God glory when we hold on, when we do what God said He wants us to do, and we hang on and we do that. Now, I just wanna have an aside here. Um, Right now, the children in First Look, the little kids and the school age kids in 252, right now, this very moment, they are also learning about grit. And so what we're teaching today, they are going to be learning on a child's level. And so if you have a child next door today, then please have some conversations with them this week about grit. You'll have a great opportunity to do that. So regardless of the outcome, if God says, go chase a giant, then I truly believe that's what he wants us to do. And regardless of the outcome, God is going to get glory if we hang on and we chase that giant. Because chasing after giants requires faith, um, a faith where we have to hold on. And here's why we can hold on when we face a giant. And we taught this last week. We said because God is with us. When we hold, we can hang on because God is with us. Now, this is huge because last week we said that God is already in front of us. We said that last week. And at the very same time, God is already behind us at the same time. He's above us. He is under us all at the same time. You see, we are stuck in this space where we are right now. And sadly for you, you're stuck here with me, (laughs) but we are stuck in this space, one place at a time, but God is not. And the way it's described, he's in front of us. He's behind us. He is above us. He's below us all day, every day, all the time. He is not stuck in this space. Last week, we also said this, that you are never alone because God is with you all the time. And that is why we can hold on. We're also, not only are we stuck in this space, we're also stuck in the present moment of time. But God is not. See, as we think about time, all we have is right now, the present, that's all we've got. That's all we can experience. We can't do anything about the future right now. We can't be there. We're stuck here. Unless we can stumble upon a DeLorean, we're stuck right here. We can't jump back into the past. We can't do that. We are stuck in this present moment. And again, once again, sadly for you, you're stuck with me this week. Cole is in Stuttgart. And so, but God is not stuck in this present moment. And it just blows my mind. God is already at the future. He's there. He already knows the outcome of the giant that we are facing. And yet, if if he knows that we're going to lose against this giant, he's already there. He knows it. But he says, still go after that giant. Wow, it just blows my mind. So God is not stuck here. He's also, at this very moment, he's in the present. He's also, uh, uh, in the future, he's also in the past, because God is outside of time. He is already there. He knows this very moment. At the very same time, he's in the future, the present, and the past. I love this about God because that's another reason I can hold on. Because God is with me. He already knows what's coming down the road. So no matter the odds, here's what we said about true grit. True grit, no matter the outcome, win or lose, keep holding on because God is with you. That's a summary of what we talked about last week. We also said this: if you keep holding on, win or lose, God gets the glory. He gets the glory. It takes true grit to hold on, and here's kind of how we defined uh, true grit. And let me offer you some apologies off the front here. If you see me make a weird face, um, if you see me scream out in some pain, <laughs> it's just that. It's just pain, and and I will do my best to not scream out and. It's like you get shocked by like electrocuted for just a moment. My back is is hurting. So anyway, I just want to let you know in case something weird happens up here. <laughs> I don't want you to run out never coming back there again. That that teacher, he was so weird. Um but granted, I I am weird, but yeah, so I, I just but anyway, enough of that. So here's what we said about true grip. True grit is doing the best you can with what you have, where you are. <sighs> but so often, having true grit and holding on, oh my goodness. Um, my mind kind of gets afraid when I start thinking about giants that God might want me to face. So I get kind of afraid. I might get discouraged. My thinking says, hey, Harley, listen, go ahead and let go. Don't hang on to this one. Don't hold on to this one. Let go. Keep going. Listen, cut my losses. You know, don't let my losses add up, Harley. That's what goes through my mind. And you know, our brains are really pretty much like supercomputers, right? They're they're amazing. And God has, has kind of pre-installed a, an operating system inside of our brains, inside of our, our thinking lives. But the things I just talked about, when we have fears or we have misconceptions about God and who he is, or where we have discouragement in our lives, those are like, um, what do you call those things? Those are like maybe malware or a virus. And that's kind of running in the background, no matter what's happening in the front of mind, in my random uh, memory right now, in the background, if those are there, those are running and they're competing against my operating system in my life for resources, okay? Fear, misconceptions, uh, discouragement. And those will keep me from operating in a way that God has designed me to operate and to go chase after whatever God says. Hey, Harley, go chase after that. So if fear and misconceptions and discouragement are not uninstalled or taken care of. They are going to keep running and operating in that background, and they will undermine everything that God wants me to do. That's that will be the battle. They're trying to do that. Everything God wants for me. So when it comes to our brains and operating systems, uh, our minds are constantly learning. Um, Half of the learning that we do are things that we are bringing into our lives. We're learning something new. But you may not understand this. The other half of what our brains are doing, they are trying to unlearn some things. And unlearning things is twice as hard. It takes twice the effort. You know, it's harder to get some old things out of my thinking than it is to add some new things into my thinking. And what happens when things? get tough? If God has said, Harley, I want you to chase after that giant, what happens when it gets tough? What happens when it doesn't turn out the way I hoped it would turn out? When my life takes a severe turn and I would say, wow, that's unfortunate. What happens when it doesn't turn out the way I want it to turn out? When we expect more, From a situation where God has said, go chase after that giant, and it doesn't seem to be doing what we want, turning out the way we want, we get discouraged, right? We can also become paralyzed by fear. And that's also, again, that would be discouraging. We can be afraid of the unknown. If I pursue what God has asked me to pursue, I don't know what's gonna happen, and that can paralyze me with fear. What would happen if it doesn't go the way I want it to go? Because it might go wrong man, that's scary. When we have misconceptions about God, and uh, then we also at the same time usually have misconceptions about the circumstances that we are in as we are facing this giant. We have these misconceptions about God, misconceptions about our circumstances, and those misconceptions begin to control my thinking and how I respond, how I react, what I do. We think things are tough, when they don't go the way that we expected. When God said, chase after this giant, and we do, and if it doesn't go the way we expected, we're like, okay, God, what's up? Do you not like me anymore? Because I feel like you told me to go this direction and it's not working out the way I want it to go. What's happening? Do you hate me? Have I done something wrong? Is some, why is this not going the way I think that it should go? And we believe when it gets tough, we think, man, I need God to get me out of this. Right? And honestly, when we look at doing something that's big, when we look at doing something that's that giant, there's probably a million reasons why we should go ahead and give up because the odds are against us. There's probably a ton of reasons why we should not hold on. I mean, it might be a money thing, it might be a talent thing, it might be uh, maybe just a time thing. But most often, when we give up, Most often, it's maybe one of these big three. Either we're afraid of something related to pursuing that giant, or we have some misconceptions about life or circumstance or a misconception about God. Or maybe we just got really, really discouraged. It's not turning out the way I anticipated, and we get discouraged, and we say, I just think I'm going to quit. I'm going to give up. I'm going to cut my losses. How many times in the new covenant do we see Jesus Christ helping people to unlearn fear, misconceptions about God and circumstances? And how often do we see him helping people to unlearn discouragement? You know, one of the most famous teachings of Jesus, um, it talks about this. You see, Jesus is, uh, is saying, you hear these words. He says, You have heard it said blank. And then he says, but I tell you, it's one of the most famous teachings of Jesus. And he says that phrase over and over. And then you know what he's doing? He's helping people unlearn some things. He's helping people reverse engineer a religious mindset that they grew up with. He's uninstalling some old covenant corrupted files. The old covenant is not corrupt, but they took that and then they kind of misunderstood some things in there. And so they corrupted it. He's helping them clear up some hand-me-downs that have been handed down generation after generation, centuries of misconceptions. That's what Jesus is doing. Wow. And we're glad that he does. How many times do we see him helping to upgrade somebody's thinking by clearing up some of these things, helping them unlearn some things? How many times do we see Jesus, uh, and and uh, he helps people kind of get to the other side of a frustration? They have uh, to 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 get past. Uh, some misconceptions they have about God or their life on earth. And he helps them get to the other side of that. He helps them get to the other side of fear. He helps them get to the other side of discouragement. How many times do we see him do that? If you look in the new covenant, well, let me give you a spoiler alert. He's doing that constantly. He's doing it constantly. Now, last week we talked about a man named Ananias and we talked about a man named Paul. And we talked about a giant that each of them faced. Now this week, we're going to talk about Paul again. But this week, we're going to add another traveling companion to him. We're going to talk about Paul and this traveling companion named Silas. And we're going to watch them. uh, And let's see what we can learn this week about True Grit, um, about holding on especially when things get tough. Now, let me give you some context about Paul and Silas. So there's this man named Paul, a man named Silas, and there's also a young man named Timothy, who's probably an older teenager, and there is also a man named Luke, who is a doctor. He was also a historian, and he was recording lots of information as they traveled. These four men were in uh, uh, an important town called Philippi. It was a Roman city, and they are there for the purpose of starting a church, okay? So they are in Philippi. They're starting a church, and as they're walking around town doing their church-starting things, uh, there's this young lady that's following them, and she is harassing them. And finally, after some days, Paul kind of gets... Fed up with it because here's what was going on with this young lady. The story behind the story, this young lady who was following them is what the new covenant describes as demon possessed, which means there was a uh, an evil spiritual being that had invaded her mind and her life and her thinking, causing her to do some really weird things. And in this scenario, it gave her the ability to be perceived as a fortune teller. All right. And so that's not the end of the story. There were some men who discovered this, and they kind of uh, basically through human trafficking, they acquired this young lady, and they were trying to become wealthy um, by exploiting her, okay, and fortune-telling. So that's what was going on. She kept following uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke around philippi and she was shouting things hollering things about them and at them finally paul says i'm frustrated with this um and paul uh forces the demon to come out of this young lady all right that's what happens demon leaves the girl no demon no fortune telling Uh uh-oh we have a problem here because that means no money for the owners of this young lady that were exploiting her so they are mad Here's where we pick up the story. Acts chapter 16, starting with verse 19. Her masters, and really with masters there, think gangsters, okay? Gangsters. Her gangsters, their hope of wealth, well, now it was shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas, and they dragged them before the authorities in the marketplace. Now, this is kind of scary. They are being dragged uh, against their will. And so the gangsters have a hold of Paul and Silas. We're not sure what was going on with Timothy and Luke at the moment, but they grab hold of Paul and Silas uh, and they, these gangsters, and they drag them to the city officials. So think some government men, and it's not just government. These men have real power in Philippi. Verse 20, the whole city Is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. These were officials who could hurt Paul and Silas, even if they chose, could have them killed. Verse 22: a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. So if it wasn't bad enough that the gangsters had a hold of them, now everyone in the area is kind of forming a mob against them. Philippi was not a Jewish community, this was a Roman town a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. Again, more more fear here. Now we've got a mob added to the scenario. And when the city officials ordered them, uh, the city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. That doesn't sound all that bad to us, but the reality is the Romans, they knew how to punish. They were experts in punishment. And to be beaten by rods by a Roman soldier or a, in this case, was probably a former Roman soldier. He knew how to do it, and they would beat you right up to the point of death, and they would stop. It was severe. It, I, they knew what this was. They were familiar with what it was going to mean to be stripped and beaten by the rods. Well, I can only imagine fear was increasing. Verse 23, they were severely beaten, Luke says. So this is no small thing. They were treated to no light punishment, it is not a slap on a wrist. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. Here's what that means the jailer can now do whatever he wants. To make sure they don't escape. I can imagine the fear is increasing. Verse 24. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Now that doesn't sound bad to us either, but here's what that means. They physically stretched their legs as far apart as they would for each man humanly possible. And they would clamp them in that position, their feet in that position. It was extremely painful. So now we have two men who have no recognizable back because of the beating. And now their feet are trapped in a position causing even more great pain and misery. And now listen, here's the problem I have with this. They were just doing what God wanted them to do, right? They were chasing after their giants. They were going where God asked them to go and doing what God asked them to do. And this is where it landed them. I can imagine that they were surrounded by fear, possibly disappointment in what was going on. Certainly, it could have been discouragement. And I wouldn't blame them if there was some misunderstanding there, saying in their minds, God has abandoned us. God is maybe angry with us. Maybe God just doesn't care. Things are not going great for Paul, not going great for Silas. And I have to wonder, as I imagine them there, what might come next? I wonder, would they see the scenario in which they find themselves? Would they see it maybe the way my mind would see it? Similar to what I might be thinking, what might be going through my mind. I mean, listen, in Malvern, um, if uh, let's say we're struggling with some money and, and maybe handling our money, and let's say maybe, maybe we were late paying a, an electric bill. Okay. say so maybe we were paid late and maybe they come shut off our electricity. Okay. And we think to ourselves, my life is over. Where is God now? <laughs> you know, it's, it's over. Does God care? My electricity has been shut off. Does God care? I mean, listen, we can't turn on a light, okay? We can't turn on a light. But it's not like the electric company is gonna show up and beat us nearly to death. We just can't turn on our lines. It's interesting to me how, in our modern culture, when things are not going great, I mean, maybe it's even just okay. Maybe it's not even bad. It's just okay. We are so comfortable keeping God at a distance from us and just doing life apart from God. But as soon as those lights get shut off, as soon as something goes down, we suddenly become afraid, and we start grabbing out there, searching for God, and trying to get a hold of God in our lives. And then once we kind of find Him, we're going to hang on for dear life. We either do that, or we begin rewriting our own version of theology, and we start believing things about God that just simply aren't true. Like, God doesn't care. He let my lights get shut off. God doesn't care about me. God's angry at me. God wants to punish me. I mean, it just makes sense to me that Paul and Silas could be thinking some of these things too. I mean, they're sitting there, barely alive, in stocks, their feet in irons. And they're like, listen, have we just wasted our lives? Has this been a waste? Look what it got us. Look how it turned out. I believe it would be very easy to say that they could have increasing fear, an increase in their misunderstanding of God, and an increase in discouragement. But here's what we're going to discover. That was not the case with Paul and Silas. At some point, they must have, they had to have at some point unlearned some things. You see, unlearning requires rewiring. And I'm talking about the way we think. It's amazing how God makes this work. The more we read scripture and the more that we worship and praise our God, oh, this is amazing the more that God does some things inside of our heart, but not just there, inside of our minds, it's as if God is recruiting new uh, nerve cells to make new neural connections so that we begin to think differently. Listen, reading scripture rewires and creates alignment With the word of God. And it helps us at that time to develop the mind of Christ. That is God uh, uh, metaphorically, I almost said literally, but it's metaphorically God downloading uh, a, a new operating system into our thinking. You see, we stop thinking human thoughts. And over that course of time, we began thinking God thoughts. Now, Paul later went on to write a letter to these very people where he is starting this church, okay? He later writes a letter to them. And listen to what he says. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, God wants to rewire your thinking. So, that we're not thinking like Harley thinks and like you think, we're thinking like God thinks. We're evaluating circumstances and situations, not how I see them, not what I think, but how God sees them. So, he's saying we need to develop the mind of Christ. We need to unlearn some things, which is going to require our minds being rewired. And you see, here's the problem evil does not want you or me to unlearn or uninstall that malware or that virus that evil has planted inside of our thoughts. One of the guys that is not with Paul and Silas, but very famous uh, 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 man who also went about starting churches, his name was Peter, and he actually spent three years with Jesus while Jesus was teaching in his teaching ministry. Here's the way Peter describes how we need to handle this. Uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Peter says, listen, everybody, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He says, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I believe evil has a lot of tools available to evil to use. Here, Peter is describing him like a prowling lion who is going to devour, going to lay waste to somebody. In just a moment, I'm going to mention three specific tools. He uses many, but I'm just today going to talk about three. All right? Talk about three of those tools. It goes on in verse 9. Peter says, stand firm against him. In other words, our response in that tough situation needs to be true grit. We need to stand firm against him. And he says, and be strong in your faith. Because what he's getting ready to describe, we need to remember, we are not the only ones hurting. We're not the only ones suffering as we face a giant in our lives. Peter says, remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. So let's talk about these three of the many tools that the evil one uses. Here's the first. Evil's tool to get you to let go instead of holding on is fear. That's the first one. Because listen, I don't know how close you've ever been to a roaring lion. I had a buddy who uh, was one of the, uh, at the Little Rock Zoo, was one of the uh, big cat caretakers. And he would describe what would happen when you're back there when one of those lions would let loose with a roar. (laughs) And how scary. Even though you know you're separated from that by the bars, how scary that was. And Peter says, listen, that roar, that evil one, Rearing up in your life and making himself known somehow. The one of the purposes is to literally scare you. A lion's roar is loud, it is scary, And, and and the evil one desires to scare the heaven out of you. That's what he wants to do. He wants to put you on your heels to kind of throw you back so that you're reacting as Harley instead of the mind of Christ. So that you're defensive, because listen, he is prowling. He is on the prowl. This is scary. It seems to me that we do everything that we can to avoid fear, don't we? We try to avoid fear. Um, the, take, for example, the, the fear of failure. Uh, I have, we talked about uh, personality types uh, earlier this year, and mine is described as a red. And you know what? With a red, uh, I hate failure. In fact, I hate it so much, I'm afraid of it. I do not want to fail. But here's the truth. When we look at the fear of failure, the cure for the fear of failure is not success. We think it is. That makes sense. It would be. But that's not the cure for the fear of failure. Part of the cure for the fear of failure actually is failure. When we fail, that is part of the cure of the fear of failure. Because part of that the, uh, the cure for the fear of rejection is not acceptance. Part of the cure of the fear of rejection is rejection. Because then we face it and we get through the fear to the other side of it. But if we keep running and we keep hiding and we keep trying to get away from fear... Fear gets bigger. So apparently, we have to be exposed to small bits, small amounts of that which we fear in order to build up an immunity to that fear in order to survive it. Let me give you an example. I had a fear of failing in church planting, church starting. I've been starting churches since 2005. And, um, as I began, I had a real fear of failing. In fact, um, let me tell you about one of the churches I started um, in Louisiana. It was, uh, we started a Sunday night church. We had a venue that we could only get to in the evening. And so it was a theater on the college campus. And so we, uh, we took that opportunity. We said, Sunday night, we're going to start a Sunday night church. Uh, at this college campus, and we were surrounded by uh, tens of thousands of people. I don't know, maybe up to 100,000 people. And we said, there's plenty of people. We're going to start a Sunday night church. Um, I was so afraid of failure. So let let, let me tell you this. Um, uh, Do you know what happened with that church that I started? Um, I failed, <laughs> big time. Six months in, we were like, "We got to pull the plug." I mean, it just—it's not going to happen. We got to pull the plug. I failed, but one of the greatest things that can happen as you fail is you learn along the way. And and my fear of failing was greater than the actual act of failing because I discovered, you, you know what? It's okay. We just figured out. And it only took, took us six months. We just figured out one way to not plant a church in this community. We discovered it. We figured it out. It wasn't so bad. We learned a way that it wouldn't work. We survived. Nobody died. We made it. One of the greatest things that can happen is for our fear to become a reality. Because then we discover it's not actually the end of the world. Unless your fear is the end of the world. (laughs) Then it might be the end of the world. Our fear is usually worse than the actual thing that we're afraid of. But if we will learn from every mistake and every failure, there is no such thing as failure. So, the first tool I want to mention for the evil one is fear. Here's the second. Evil's tool to get you to let go instead of holding on is discouragement. After all, the Bible tells us that the evil one is the great accuser. We're told that in the book of Revelation. He wants to take courage away from us. He would much rather us focus on our past mistakes He would rather us look back there and say, I'm just a failure. Just a failure. It won't work. It's never going to work. I don't see any way for this to happen. It's not going to happen. He would rather us look back. You see, discouragement, that D-I-S, you know what that means? It means to take courage away. Encourage, that E-N, you know what that means? It means to place courage in. So, once again, just a few uh, uh, lines down from where Peter said, Hey, listen, watch out for the evil one. He's like a lion. He wants to kill you, pounce on you. He says this then in verse 12. He says, My purpose in writing this is to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. In other words, Peter is saying, Listen, hang tight. Yes, it's tough. Yes, it's difficult but there's a bigger story on the other side. If you can get through this fear, get through this discouragement, there's a bigger story on the other side. And here's how he words that. He says, so stand firm in this grace. In other words, he says, you need true grit. Stand firm. First tool, fear. Second tool, misconception. I'm I'm sorry, discouragement. The third tool is that, misconceptions. Evil's tool to get you to let go instead of holding on. It is misconceptions. After all, the evil one is the father of lies. The father of lies. You see, a spiritual misconception is where a spiritual truth becomes muddy. It becomes a muddy truth in my mind, in my thinking. And the evil one desperately wants you to misunderstand God. And he wants you to misunderstand the circumstances in which you find yourself as you're fighting, facing this giant. He wants you to misunderstand. He wants you to believe the lies. So now back to Paul. Paul wrote a letter to uh, another church, and here's what he said to them in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. He said, with all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Again, he says, and keep a strong grip. Again, we say that is true grip. Hold on. Do not let go. He said, hold on a strong grip on the teaching we have passed on to you, both in person and by letter. Today in 2022, we can say, okay, Paul, so what you're saying is, God desires to rewire our thinking with the truth found in Scripture. You know, it's easy for me to see that how after being beaten nearly to death, and in the pain of the leg irons that the evil one could have these two men afraid, discouraged, and believing misconceptions. But what Luke describes to us next is not that. It does not smell of fear. It does not reek of disappointment or misconceptions. It does not. Because Luke tells us, here's what happened next in verse 25. After midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What? Singing hymns, not curses. It it was not, woe is me. The cup on the prison bars. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. It's not that. They're praying. And apparently, while all the other prisoners looked on, I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure that's what I would be doing. I mean, look at their backs. Their backs are unrecognizable as a back. And they're in pain. I think I might be singing something different. I'm going to show my age and I'm going to ask someone if they're brave enough to join in and Reveal your age to the people here today. I think if it were me, I would be singing something from Hee-Haw. <laughs> if 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 you're a young'un, it's on YouTube. <laughs> Gloom, despair, and agony on me. What happened after that? Anyone? I got you. Yeah, yeah, that's where it goes. But first they said, oh, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Oh, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. Oh, if it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Oh, gloom, despair, agony on me. I would be in a pity party. Listen, My back has been hurting for three months. I can't tell you the amount of pity I have shown myself (laughs) and the amount of cheeseburgers I've eaten in self-pity. Listen, Paul and Silas, they were not ready to give up. They were holding on with true grit. This is an important point. You know, sometimes we put things on the screen that we're like, oh, you might want to remember this. And sometimes, I know this is weird, but it really works. This is, for me, how it works. You could snap a picture with your phone of anything on these screens so that you could go back and look at it again later. This might be a picture snapper. Here, listen to this. Paul and Silas did not base their theology on their circumstances. Instead, They evaluated their circumstances in light of what they knew about God. Wow. They began to sing and pray. They were expressing a confident trust in God that somehow God was going to use this circumstance some way, somehow for good, and ultimately somehow for his glory. Somehow they trusted there is more to this story. There's something on the other end of this story, a bigger story on the other side of this suffering. Wow. Now listen to what Luke says. He says, then, and the other prisoners were listening. They were probably wondering, why? What's going on here? Clearly something is different. Why aren't these men discouraged? Why aren't they afraid? There must be something on the other side of this story that is waiting for them. Now listen, if I've learned anything, if I've learned anything about chasing after Jesus, whatever is going on in my story, if there is more to it, it's probably not going to be about me. On the other side of that fear, they had to believe there's a bigger story. And so they need to hold on with true grit because there is a bigger story on the other side of that fear, on the other side of those possible misconceptions, on the other side of that discouragement. And uh, uh, Luke goes on and writes in verse 26, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and all the chains of every prisoner fell off the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, and he assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. Here's why. Because either they would require that jailer to serve himself all the terms of every prisoner who, who escaped. He would have to serve that himself for one consecutively, or uh, not together, one right after the other. Or they were going to kill him. One of the two. And the jailer's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose my own fate. And he is getting ready to kill himself. And in verse 28, but Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're here. We're here. We are all here. And I think to myself, come on, guys, really? I mean, this was your chance to run. This was your chance to get away from more pain. And you don't know what's coming next. This is your chance to get away from this situation. man." They, sorry, they must have unlearned fear. Somehow they're convinced that on the other side of this circumstance, this fear, there's a bigger story. Something's going on. They're convinced. On the other side of fear, there is a much bigger story. True grit. Hold on. Because there's a bigger story on the other side. And that's what your children are learning today too. Hold on because there's a bigger story on the other side. If Paul and Silas had fear, they would have gotten up and run away. They would have taken that chance. It would be the natural thing to do because it was unnatural for them to stay. Unlearning fear. Man. It's more than just a knowledge thing, getting knowledge from God. The other part of unlearning fear is actually acting upon that knowledge. They have this knowledge, and they're facing their fear. Instead of running away, they stayed, and somehow, I don't know how, they convinced all the other prisoners to stay as well. Verse 29, Luke writes, the jailer He called for lights and he ran to the dungeon and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Their true grit, the true grit of Paul and Silas actually compels this jailer to run to Jesus. And here's what they replied. And listen. If you don't hear anything I say today, please hear this. This is what they told him. This is how you are saved. This is how it happens. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Wow. Wow. Here's the bigger story. They have made it to the other side. This is the bigger story. They held on to get to this bigger story. And the Roman jailer submitted his life to Jesus right there in that moment. And it goes on to describe, Luke describes that his entire household did the same. His family, the people that worked with him, they all surrendered their lives to Jesus. Suddenly, Paul and Silas landed on this bigger story on the other side of fear. Now here's what the jailer does. He takes Paul and Silas, and he begins to wash and clean their wounds. They were horrific. And you know what happens next? Then the jailer gets washed. You know how? He gets baptized, which means to be washed, to be dipped under. That's what happens. He gets baptized, and his whole family follows suit as well, because they believed in Jesus. And they got to the bigger story. It was on the other side of fear. They had to grow through that fear. They had to unlearn some fear, and they had to face it. They had to unlearn and uh, begin to face discouragement. They had to unlearn misconceptions and to face them. And my friends, if we don't do the same, that fear, that misconception, that discouragement, That then becomes the giant in our lives, and it's going to keep us confined. It's going to make it so we never get to the bigger story. Do you realize that the greatest moments in life are also the scariest moments in life? They're the same. Scary. I mean, they were probably scared. That What they experienced in those beatings, they they probably had some emotional trauma. They probably had some bad dreams. And yes, yes, Paul and Silas, they were trying to kill that giant, but not before it scared the pants off of them. They were scared. Not before they were nearly beat to death with rods. They had an up-close personal experience with fear and with discouragement, and it must have echoed in their minds, and it probably lingered for years. But somehow the scariest moments turn into the greatest moments in their lives. The greatest experiences are often the scariest, and the scariest are often the greatest. That's how life works, and that's how the best stories are actually created. And here's a question for us all. Are we living our lives in a way that is worth telling stories about? Don't forget what Peter said. He said, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him, true grit. And be strong in your faith, true grit. And remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Look at the times in the New Covenant where Jesus stepped toward scary things rather than running and hiding. With his life on the line, at his trial, Jesus refused to defend himself. But listen, he could have because Jesus never lost an argument. But he chose to keep his mouth closed. The Bible tells us he was led to the slaughter so he couldn't open his mouth. He didn't open his mouth. Jesus on purpose put himself into a defenseless position. And even when they hung him on the cross, you know what? The people around him, they hurled uh, uh, they hurled things at Jesus verbally. Discouragement, they said, save yourself, Jesus. And then they laughed at him and they mocked him. And you know, Jesus could have saved himself. He told us earlier, Jesus said earlier that, that at any moment, there were 12 legions of angels ready to rescue him. But if he did that, how would the scriptures be fulfilled? I mean, a legion was the largest amount of a Roman military unit, 6,000 soldiers. And so Jesus is saying, listen, fellas, I've got 70. 72,000 angels right now ready for me. But listen, Jesus wasn't trying to save himself. He was trying to save you. Life's goal is not the elimination of fear. Maybe it's to muster that true grit and that courage to hold on through the fear, to make it to the bigger story on the other side. And here's where we bring this all to a landing this week right here. You probably thought I would never get there while I'm here. This week, I'm going to ask some questions. I would encourage you to remember these. If, If that requires taking a picture of the screen, do that. Or maybe you have a better memory than I do. But here are the questions that I encourage you to revisit this week. Here's the first. What is something that God led you toward, but now everything in you is wanting to give up and to let go? Maybe it's because of fear or discouragement or a misconception. All right, that's the first question. Talk with you, yourself, and God about that this week. Here's the next one. What fear seems the most overwhelming to you today? What discouragement has you wanting to give up? What have you been believing about God and your circumstances that is a lie from the evil one? It is a misconception. And I challenge you to take these questions with you this week. Talk to yourself and God about these at the same time. Let us rewire our thinking, our misconceptions, our discouragement, and let's rewire that with scripture so that we can hold on and get to the other side to that bigger story. And my friends, listen, the odds don't matter. I I, I want you to hold on because there's a bigger story. Somehow in America, the church has turned into this bunker where we just kind of come in and we seek shelter and we don't think things should be hard. We seek shelter. And we kind of come in here sometimes and we get so focused on knowledge that we actually forget that God has called us to storm the gates of hell. But the alternative to fear, you know what it is? The alternative to fear, if we're not facing fear, then we probably are facing boredom. And for a follower of Jesus, that's inexcusable. If we are bored, we're probably not following in the footsteps of Jesus. Maybe our life goal should not be to eliminate fear, but maybe it should be this, to muster the grit and the courage to hold on through the fear so we can make it to the other side, to the bigger story. And I so hope that you'll talk to God about that this week. I hope you will. Will you join me as we pray? And then we're going to worship this amazing Jesus again. God, you told us to stay alert. You told us to to face that fear of what could be coming. Of whatever's going on with that evil one and the roaring lion. God, we ask for you to help us to have the true grit to face that, to be strong, to be strong in you. God, we ask for your help. May we begin living lives that leave our children and our relatives and our friends with a story worth telling. God, we ask you to help us do that. And the only way it's going to happen is through you, Jesus, the work of your Spirit, the love of the Father, the sacrifice of the Son, and the calling of your Spirit. May you make it so in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.